Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about tenant, or should I say, tenant. Get it? Because the movie that's like reverse and backwards and there's time travel, Cody. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, this is the second time we're doing this intro because we forgot to record uh, the first like 20 minutes of the podcast. But we've got our all our takes really fleshed out, at least for the beginning. Um, and maybe we can like start from the back and, and, and work in reverse or something to really pay tribute to this Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. What do you think, co-host Cody Webb? <laughs> I'm also here. It's another episode of Cap. Everybody get hype. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great episode, man. <laughs> um, you know, palindromes all over the place. going to be a fun one. Great edit off the top, too. I don't really know how he did that, but that was pretty dope. You know, we've, we've done a lot of Nolan films on this podcast. This one is another one, you know. That's all I probably need to say because it's, it's kind of mid, which uh, I didn't say before. But, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to get into. <laughs> I think this is officially the fifth Nolan film we've discussed with mm. Interstellar, The Prestige, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, and now, of course, Tenet coming in at number five. Maybe we'll hit six in an upcoming episode. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I think very likely. <laughs> also, we skipped The Dark Knight, the best one. So I don't know how we did that, but The Dark Knight Rises is probably more interesting to talk about just because it's complete shit. I think we will do The Dark Knight. We just need some space from Rises, probably. Hey, maybe not, but we're definitely going to do the next Nolan film. So we'll need some more space after that, too, for a little bit. <laughs> Good point. We're really nulling it up here at the end of season five. Before we talk about this, I did want to talk about the actor strike that is happening. Because of the way that we've recorded our last couple episodes um, in advance, this is the first episode that we've recorded after SAG AFTRA has officially announced that they are striking. Um, and I kind of just wanted to talk about it a little bit with you. So, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about it, Cody? Definitely a very important topic, uh, especially right now. Obviously, it's all pretty much just going down. I mean, uh, the actors have officially gone on strike, like you said. So definitely a massive deal right now. I, I think they're definitely in the right, basically, off the bat. But it is tough because, like you said, everything in Hollywood is just basically on hold right now. And, I mean, it's kind of a big thing, too. Uh, like we are saying, like, uh, you know, promoting stuff there's tons of new stuff coming out like during the summer here. And I think none of the actors are going to be like, Hey, go see this movie, which is I mean, they're not allowed to like, they literally, yeah. they can't. Um, I mean, they don't work for them technically right now. So yeah. it's craziness. It's just tough to make a living in Hollywood these days. Really. I saw a bunch of stuff on Twitter, obviously too. There's a lot of fun interviews. I don't know if fun's the right word, but a lot of interesting interviews. I saw one with uh, James Gunn. That was really good. Uh, also, I didn't know he was in, that uh Sean Gunn. Sean Gunn, whatever he's in that tv show gilmore girls yeah he's in gilmore girls i didn't even know that like i saw something of him on tiktok and i was like oh the guy from gilmore girls is going off respect it's like <laughs> oh he's in that but i saw with him and there's this other one too uh if anybody watches picard and you guys definitely don't but there's an actress in picard and that's all i know her from and evidently she's the vp of uh the actors guild which is dope but she had this really interesting interview that i saw where she's like Every time we see like a no name, you know, actor or actress in a show, like they are probably struggling living paycheck to paycheck because they can't find work in Hollywood these days. So, I, you know, it's just a lot of interesting points and coming from a Picard, you know, actor. Shout out Michelle Hurd. Michelle Hurd, that's her name. Her name in the show is JR. Yeah, she's, she's actually a fun character. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an, an important time, I think. Uh, there will definitely be a standoff because there's kind of a lot of deep seated issues with just 
kind of how Hollywood runs everything in general. And I feel like the higher up you go, you, you know, the worse and the worse it gets. So I think it's going to take some time. I don't know how long this is going to last, but I think it needs to last long enough for, you know, things to at least change a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned everything shutting down, obviously the WGA has been on strike and we've talked about that a little bit on the podcast already, but SAG going on strike, especially at the same time as the WGA is like, so much bigger of a deal. It's like 15 times larger. There's 160 some thousand members of SAG. That's a huge group of the workforce that is completely shutting down. And in Hollywood, you you can't really produce films and you can't shoot stuff without writers, but they've been doing it. You definitely can't do it with act without actors, right? So everything's done. You know, if something is shooting right now and was slated or was still, you know, finishing up production or doing reshoots, was slated for the end of the year, it's not going to come out. Things that are coming out next year are, are probably going to get pushed to later in the year. There might be even films this year that are done that are going to get pushed just because the studios feel like they need something to have to be able to release next year. You know, there's all sorts of uh, different things to go into it, but I think this is a really huge important issue that's happening right now and neither of us are experts and i'm going to throw some links down in the the description um so places that you can donate some money and as well as just some like resources to learn more and you know kind of understand you know what it is that they that the actors want and the reasons that they're trying to stand up to these huge companies like netflix and warner and apple and amazon and you know universal and, and, and all these major players disney that are making billions and billions of dollars uh when the actors are making a, you know, a smaller, smaller uh, portion of that, especially in the age of streaming. And I mean, the big thing too with TV, uh, just the, the residuals that some of the people were saying were, were coming back were kind of strange. And like you're saying with streaming, it's it's impossible to track or it's not impossible. They just refuse to- It to is remove. lock and key, the closely yeah. guarded secret of the uh, Netflix top 10. How does it work, Cody? Red, Red Notice? Notice goat film <laughs> Still seen it, but everybody else in the world has like that this time. week i saw cody uh 65 the adam driver <laughs> picture oh, yeah? from earlier this year made its rounds in the netflix top 10 oh that, i'm sure that was number one for like uh, eight weeks straight according to their statistics but yeah kind of like res residuals from that I've, I've seen a bunch of stuff on twitter too where like just like you know some smaller name actors but like in in big shows i saw some like new girl ones and some other sitcomy stuff where like people rewatch that crap over and over and over, and like the residuals were nothing. We just so don't, yeah, like because they literally don't, we don't know, yeah, you know. And but there's a potential that like these this will become more transparent, and like we will now know when a TV show releases on Netflix how many people are actually seeing it. At the end of the day, I feel like the the companies are gonna find a way to get around it. They're gonna you know come up with some you know NDA lock and key formula secret because that's you know they're not gonna give up their their proprietary numbers about why uh, the newest season of uh, give me a Netflix show the newest season of Umbrella Academy is the greatest show of all time. <laughs> I like that show, uh, <laughs> but I agree with you obviously. And uh, also Bob Iger, I'm calling you out, dude. You're you're scummy. But yeah, obviously we're. I mean, like you said too, but I mean. We don't have our foot in this or anything. We're no experts, like Corbin said. We'll link some stuff too, but uh, you know, we're, we're our opinion is not completely, you know, matter here. We're just kind of, you know, third party bystanders. But I think it's clear who, you know, who's in the wrong and who's in the right in a lot of this stuff. So it'll be interesting how it shakes down. You know, we're just a couple of guys who enjoy talking about movies, sharing this with you people. 
because of the people who make them, because of the people who write them, because of the people who are in them, because of the people who direct them. Those workers are really important. It's really cool that in Hollywood, the workers have unions that are still so strong when very few places in our country have that kind of worker support and, and worker leadership that can kind of collectively bargain in this way. So it's really cool that Hollywood has the opportunity for this. And I just hope that, you know, however long this lasts, they're able to come to a, a, an agreement that is beneficial for the actors and the writers. Um, and then they're able to, you know, get what they need. 100% back it. Crazy time, but definitely a very, very, very important time, I, I think, for just everyone in general for Hollywood. So, yeah, we stand with them. In the meantime, we'll be stuck uh, watching two hours of Survivor <laughs> come the fall because That's... reality TV is, is filling the TV slate. You so. know, the only positive. If there is a silver, silver lining. lining, if there's a silver lining, uh, we get more Survivor. So I think maybe I'm the only one who's happy about that. <laughs> but uh, the show needs it for sure, I think. Yeah, that, that is kind of tough. That's kind of a, you know, repercussion of the whole situation. But I guess I'll take it, you know. Let's talk about why. Why, 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 why so serious? We picked this film. And you know, we can call it a joint pick. It was, it was kind of me doubling up after our Insidious episode last week. But I mm. offered you a choice between Dunkirk and Tenet in preparation for the release of Oppenheimer. Why did you go Tenet over Dunkirk, Cody? I think those would both be good choices. Obviously, you know, uh, Dunkirk, it's got Harry Styles going for it, so you can't really argue with that. But I think uh, plot-wise, uh, you know, Tenet is a little bit more interesting, or I don't know if that's the right word. It's just got more going on. So I think maybe a convoluted plot is is kind of a cap classic. It's kind of our jazz, yeah. <laughs> right up our alley. So I kind of just need to go into that more. But Dunkirk would have been good, too. Like you said, we've, we've covered uh, most of Nolan's stuff, so I wouldn't have hated either way, but... I think Tenet will be an interesting one to kind of dive into a little bit more. This podcast is free to listen to, but I think most people would pay money for your description of what happens in this movie later in this episode, Cody. So oh. tune in for that one. I'm going to attempt it, so stay tuned. <laughs> I really thought that both Dunkirk and Tenet would be really interesting to talk about in the context of Oppenheimer, because to me, this trio of films makes a lot of sense in the arc of Christopher Nolan's filmography. You have Dunkirk, which is this big war epic, World War II style, with a little bit of the Nolan twist, setting it in three different, you know, time dilation periods of land, water, and sea, um, or land, sea, and air. Um, and then, of course, this movie, Tenet, where it's like you have a, a villain who is literally like birthed out of a nuclear holocaust and exists because of what Oppenheimer created. And they literally reference Oppenheimer becoming concerned that the detonation of his bomb might cause some sort of train reaction, a thing we've heard referenced in the Oppenheimer trailer. There's also the talk about how like the scientist in the future that creates this, you know, time bomb or whatever the the MacGuffin of this film essentially the algorithm is, is the algorithm there it is is this is her generation's Oppenheimer right so it's very clear and it makes a lot of sense and of course there's the anecdote that Pattinson gave uh, Nolan a book of Oppenheimer quotes on the set of this film but to me it just makes a lot of sense that when you take the the World War II uh, setting of Dunkirk and the themes and ideas of this film that you end up with a Robert Oppenheimer bio biopic. True. I do like the evolution of kind of getting to that point. And uh, obviously I think Dunkirk and, and Tenet are completely just drastically different movies, but when you do combine them, you do kind of get Oppenheimer. So I do like that. 
Um, and also, I think it's funny, too, that we've had back-to-back cap episodes here with an Oppenheimer reference. Uh, if you've not checked out our Snowpiercer episode, definitely do that, because I think that was a good one. But they referenced, there's a name drop of Oppenheimer in that one. Back-to-back weeks, we got an Oppenheimer reference. Might have to just keep the bandwagon going, I think. Uh, of course, Cody, do not forget <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, yeah. with one of the greatest filmed nukes of all time, um, not having seen Oppenheimer yet. Mm-hmm. Crystal Skull's number one for me at this time. I mean, that's probably the best part of the movie. I mean, other than the fridge, obviously. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of nukes recently in cap, so shout out to us. Cody, do you remember? Do you remember? And I sure hope you do. Because we were together again when we first saw this movie. Um, walk the people through the experience. Was it the the GQT 7 or 10 in Lafayette that we went to? Good question. Uh, I definitely have no idea. But um, yeah, this is a good one again. I mean, back-to-back cap episodes again where uh, we saw the movie for the first time together. So that's cool. This one is obviously in the theater, um, which is always a better experience than just, you know, in, on the couch in front of the TV. But I always went to the uh, movie theater just, you know, right on campus in Lafayette. I don't nine. even know. Oh, it was a nine? Sure, I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know what number it is. But um, I remember the theater that we went to. Um, it was the same one that I saw Avengers Endgame uh, with my brother at. So whichever one that is, it, it was the same theater. Because I think I've only been there twice in my life. So shout out to it. We saw 1917 at the other one in Lafayette but you always contend that you don't remember that and every time I bring it up on the podcast you're like we didn't see that movie together I don't remember that because there was girls that were sitting in our seat and Dylan was there and Mina yeah yeah I do remember that um I like 1917 too so maybe I was just locked in the film (laughs) when we saw Tanner for the first time obviously too uh I mean it was peak COVID obviously this movie released in 2020 I mean, there's a ton of Nolan, you know, studio beef that is definitely well-deserved that I'm sure you'll go into here. But uh, we all went, I remember we all masked up pretty heavily. Um, it was still pretty much like that peak lockdown time. So I don't really think anything else was was being released around this time either. So, yeah, I mean, it was really, it was, it was interesting because it was like in that, oh, we're kind of, we thought we were coming out of COVID maybe like the summer was really good. So they kept pushing things back and hoping that it was going to be okay. And then they just released this movie because they saw that things were just about to get a lot worse and they eventually did. And then we kind of had that cycle for a year or two, but this really was the only movie in theaters. And it was definitely the only thing that you or I went to go see for like from March until the next summer when movies did begin to release again. Um, in theaters so it kind of stood out as a weird special one definitely a strange time i think in in everybody's life i like like uh, it's kind of hazy even you know talking about it i think we went with like uh mina and uh van Dylan Dylan. and uh, yeah. i don't know honestly like you could throw one of these those people out i'd be like oh that makes sense they weren't there <laughs> but, um, we me and you were definitely there so that's all that matters <laughs> for this episode but um all yeah. love to them Theater experience also too did we get any food or anything maybe i got like a but i think maybe i got an uh an icy because i always get one of those but i don't know if they were doing a lot of food because usually i'd get a dog or something as well but <laughs> <laughs> do you remember anything about your theater experience Carmen? i don't know the whole eating and drinking with the mask thing um mm-hmm. you know of course like i don't know in indiana there were some there was definitely some people not in the theater not wearing masks you know but at purdue things are always very strict and like we were there but 
I don't think I got maybe some popcorn. It's hard to say. It's a foggy memory for me as well. It was a weird time. The release of this film obviously caused a lot of issues. It's kind of part of the reason that Oppenheimer is a universal film and not a Warner Brothers film, despite nearly a, a 20 year or an over 20 year working relationship between Nolan and the studio Warner Brothers. But this movie was originally slated to come out July 17th, 2020, then got pushed back to July 31st, then August 2nd, then August 22nd, and then September 3rd, 4th, you know, that kind of first weekend of September when it finally was released in a few theaters in the U.S. It kind of got released at different parts of the world at different times. They ended up doing a re-release the next March when like New York City theaters (laughs) even opened for the first time and people were finally able to go see it in New York City and like L.A. It was just kind of a fateful bad situation it did gross about 360 million dollars internationally although domestically it made less than 100 million dollars which is very pitiful for a nolan film um, i mean even 360 is pretty sad given the context of like dunkirk making 500 interstellar making 700 inception making 800 obviously the batman films getting close to a billion this movie is a disappointment but obviously because of the time it came out I think of like Top Gun Maverick, a movie that was supposed to also release in 2020, that then got held by Paramount for two years. Do you think this movie could have been the Top Gun Maverick of, of 2022? Do you think it would have had that same impact? Or was that more of a special thing because of the you know Tom Cruise legacy sequel mess of it all? We do love me uh, some legacy sequels. And Top Gun, I mean, that's pretty iconic, I feel like, for the 80s and stuff. But uh, I feel like it's hard to judge with this movie. I don't know if it would be a, a massive, you know, box office hit. It's got, like, the visual style for it. it. It kind of does remind me of, like, Avatar, strangely enough. So maybe it would be successful. But this is not one of my favorite Nolan films. So I don't know if it would have gone, like, buku crazy. But, I mean, yeah, obviously, obviously the studio messed up. Like, I don't know. Especially with a Nolan film like this, after he's done, like, so many good projects in a row, I feel like before this for them, too to kind of screw him over in a sense and just release it during COVID. Yeah, I mean, the studio messed up. And uh, Christopher, he's the one that got away now because they're probably just going to keep losing money over and over and over without this guy, you know, at the helm. So it is tough for WB. Kind we of will talk ways. about it some more uh, in a future episode. But just to mention, it was both the release and handling of this film as well as the prominent 2021 Warner Brothers films like you know, Mortal Kombat, Godzilla versus Kong, more notably, you know, stuff like Dune that got that like HBO Max day and date limited theatrical window release that Nolan just absolutely hated. He kind of talked shit about HBO Max. He said it was a really bad decision. He was in disbelief the way they they were treating their filmmakers. Patty Jenkins with Wonder Woman 1984. That was another one that got released on HBO Max and in theaters. He really saw that as extremely harmful to the theatrical model and to the model of modern day filmmaking. So he essentially said, I'm not going to, I'm going to open my services to other you know, studios, I'm going to put a call out who wants to help me make my next film. Universal offered him, you know, whatever X amount of dollars to make Oppenheimer and give him final cut on it and a guaranteed theatrical window of, you know, how many, however many days. And, you know, he ended his relationship with Warner Brothers over this uh, after, like I said, you know, 20 years, you know, since Insomnia, he, every film he's made has been for, for WB. 
and he made a lot of money for them. So uh, I'm sure they are, you know, getting some restless nights because of that. But and um, also very important to note that they are releasing a film on the same day in competition. Some may say in cooperation with uh, as social media campaigns have sprung up. But Barbie, a, w, a WB film is, is coming out and is probably going to make more money on the same day as, uh, as Oppenheimer. That's, that's definitely a shot. That's kind of funny. I didn't even think about that. Warner Brothers not backing down, releasing probably one of the biggest movies of the year on on his same day. So that is ironic. Um, yeah, I mean, when when Christopher Nolan hits the free agent market, I mean, this is like LeBron James becoming an a you know going out to to South Beach. Like everybody offered this guy, I think a max contract. You know, he went to the team he wanted to. You know, probably with a, a good view and and a lot of perks on the side. But yeah, I'll tell you what, Christopher Nolan's a heck of a director, but. That is funny. I think 100% he's going to lose to Barbie uh, kind of week one in the box office. So that'll be interesting. While they both simultaneously have an overlap, they also have like a great varying difference in the markets that they attract. Oh, yeah. Barbie's is just like much wider of, of a net that it will be cast. Initial thoughts. Good morning, Vietnam! This movie's interesting, man. Um we can go into the full uh, kind of plot breakdown of where I was kind of looking around. But in general, I think this movie, I think it's like three good, like cool action set pieces. Obviously, like the the inverse stuff is just dope visually. Like, I don't think you can argue against that, especially like <laughs> I, I genuinely don't think we'll ever see like anybody even try to copy like this inverse style, like the stuff with the cars, the whole car scene, I think is immaculate. The opening, like, I guess it's not the opening fight, but it's like the first inverse fight where I, and spoiler, massive spoiler. So I'm just been going off the cuff here, but we're obviously, um, what, I'm going to call, um, is his name John David Washington? Is that right? The protagonist. Yeah. I'm going to call him wash the entire video. So just observe <laughs> that. But uh, when Wash is, like, fighting himself at the beginning, I think that's a cool opening action. When he does again later, it's like, all right, I mean, I, I definitely saw this coming, but whatever. But the plane stuff is really cool. And then, obviously, the ending with just, you know, bombs inversing, going everywhere, cars going backwards. I don't know why, but I think that is visually dope. Uh, we can dive into the story here because <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I don't understand it. But uh, I'll throw it to you first. What What's your initial, initial thoughts on this stuff? I think this is his biggest swing, in my opinion. And, yeah. and you know, maybe even like Oppenheimer is like a bigger swing in the sense of like, do people really want to watch a three-hour biopic about the guy who made the nuke and it's like got every white dude in Hollywood? And like, I, I don't know, maybe the, like the appeal of that one isn't is, is clear. This one makes more sense as like a big theatrical thing you would want to go see. However, what he's trying to like take on and the story he's trying to tell to me is the most impressive, more impressive than what he does in Inception or Interstellar. But I think it's, it's just extremely successful and extremely fun to watch. It's beautifully shot, like you said. And most of all, I don't fucking get it. Like, I do not understand. And, you know... You know, we, we've never claimed to be the, the greatest intellectuals of all time or actually film scholars, but, you know, we, we'll give some, you know, breakdown what we think happens, you know, we'll, we'll talk through, you know, what it all means. Dude, I don't fucking know. Like, I've tried. I, you know, I've, I read the Wikipedia summary. I understand the plot. Like, I get the events. Mm -hmm. But when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, 
it just doesn't make sense. And I think Nolan knows that. And then, yeah. you know, in some ways, like Interstellar doesn't really make sense when you get down to it, even though it's all scientifically accurate, it doesn't make sense. And Inter Inception doesn't really make sense in a lot of ways. And the ending of The Dark Knight Rises doesn't really make sense in a lot of ways. However, this movie is successful because you're not supposed to think about it, Cody. You're just supposed to feel it. Don't try to understand. Uh, just feel it and that's what this one's all about and that's why it works it's very nolan the ending the setup it's a circle you know literally the final battle takes place on the same day that the kiev opera fight in the opening sequence is on the 14th and there's just like it, it, it's all very nolan-y but it's like to me it just works is that true see i didn't even know that and uh a good quote in there maybe nolan just telling the audience too it's like it's just oh, instinct. 100%. Just instinct. That's all you need. Shout out to uh, Clements Posey for uh, <laughs> laying that one out for us. Yeah, she's there for some reason. Uh, Harry Potter, Fleur Delacour. Also, that doesn't make any sense. How? Because Rob Pat is obviously at the beginning of the film. He bails out a uh, wash, but he doesn't. He die at, at the end on the same day. So I well, guess the thing is was... they, the thing is they they can exist at the same time as themselves. Yeah. So like the the general idea is that like they're constantly going back in time and exist like there might be three or four different versions of John David Washington at any given that's that's the that's where I struggle to really get in of like how do you get back to the time from which you came or is there any way to return or are you always stuck in this like weird because there's there doesn't appear to be a way to travel forward so no. like how does anyway we're getting. I mean, we're really jumping into the weeds here. Who cares? Uh, yeah, let's of, of go bad. But like, how does Elizabeth Debicki's character, Kat, return to her timeline with her son following the events on the boat? She jumps off the boat, then yeah. what? They just, well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point because- Because turnstiles work in reverse, right? Like they don't- What about her other self? Because when you go back in time- your other self is going to be there in theory. Well, it's well, not thing. And then this movie obviously subscribes to the idea that like when something happens, it's always happened. And there's that, but you know, Cody, we're, that's a really good point with Vicky because there'd only be one of her son, but there'd be two of her. So she'd be like this hobbit who was still childless the entire time. That's actually really interesting. And uh, I did not think of that at all, but we can uh, throw it back to the beginning a little bit too. Cause I believe the just the start of the plot, which we've touched on a little bit, we got the Oppenheimer stuff where she creates this inversion, which is not explained kind of how she does it, which I guess makes sense because it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then she gets really scared by it and kind of pieces all of the algorithms into the past, which I feel like that's a pretty terrible strategy because then you're just asking people to use kind of the inversion to go find these pieces, which is just going to make everything more messy. Also, um, that that was explained at the hour 50 mark of a two and a half hour film. I, d I didn't even know the first time I watched it that they like went back in the past, I don't think. So that was a shock to me. Okay, so I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit here, obviously. But when Elizabeth Debicki gets shot or the inversion shot or whatever, I don't really understand how they save her. So possibly you can explain this because they go back in time to the plane crash and they just bring her with and because it's the past that means she's going to heal faster or something i don't understand that but 
<laughs> but also because then at the end, Rob Pat, he goes in and out like four times and he gets shot. Right. So he's dead. Am I wrong in that he's dead or no? At the end of things, he does die. Yes. Okay. The version that we see at the very end of the film is riding off to his death. But he how says goodbye he... to the protagonist. Yeah. How did he go down. through all of that? Do whatever. And then invert again. Like it's it's inception inverting. You, like why doesn't Kenneth Branagh just do that? Like invert like five times until he eventually kills Rob Pat. I don't know, dude. This right. There is the idea of like if you have time travel, literally, isn't anything possible? Like their whole worry is that if Seder dies and this email gets sent, which basically you know you send an email twenty years in the future, I can go back and look at my email today and it's like communicating right that's the whole idea i put yeah. i post something on facebook in the future people can read that so i could be like oh hey to the future leave me gold at this location and send it backwards like stuff like that so his whole idea is he's gonna when he dies an email is gonna get sent and it's gonna be the location of the algorithm which is buried for the future people to undig it but they don't know where it's buried but if you believe like the idea is they constantly traveling back in time and doing this reverse pincer movement. Couldn't they keep constantly going back until they pull the algorithm out and there is no algorithm to be dug up. But then there's also this idea that the second his email gets sent, the future then has access to the thing. And then all time and space will cease to exist instantaneously because that's what the algorithm does. It's it's all very confusing, Cody. Um, I will say with when it comes to the Debicki getting shot and why they have to invert, the idea is that when you get shot with an inverted bullet, it's essentially like poison in the real world. However, if you invert yourself, it has it doesn't have that same effect on you. It's kind of just like getting shot regularly. So you're inverted, and she gets a couple days because in inversion time travels at the same speed of regular time it's just in reverse so she they spend like three or four days on that shipping container on a boat where the where the days are going in reverse and that gives her enough of a chance to heal they then go back to the airport at oslo four days in the past and she returns to the regular world having her four days of healing and letting the bullet kind of let that poisoning stop Basically. I guess that makes sense. I guess like an inversion bullet um, is a massive deal, which it's because there's like some radiation that's happening as well. Mm -hmm. So like when she gets inverted, then she becomes the radiation of, the, you know, uh, you know, that makes sense. Always just throwing radiation. I feel like no one that explains everything. <laughs> but the more that we're talking about it, like it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Like because I remember a specific line where it's like you're thinking of time still like way too linearly. So it's kind of like the anti uh, back to the future in a sense. I think it's it's almost going the complete opposite of being like, there's not really a time space continuum that your past self and your future self have to kind of line up with this. Like I can go back in the past like 10 times and there's just kind of 10 times myself running around. Um, maybe like each individual person is not connected that much and in time standpoint. So it's kind of interesting. Some other dumb stuff too. I mean, the gas masks, I feel like that's kind of dumb. It's kind of like ripping Well, you know, off very interesting also, this being a COVID film, it was a, a movie with a lot of gas, you know, a lot of masks. People made a big deal about that. Really? That's funny, actually, too. But I feel like it's just directly, like, ripping off Stranger Things. Um, so that's kind of tough. But also, like, can you choose? What do you mean? The upside down. It's hard to breathe. You got to... A medical mask is ripping off Stranger Things? Sure, good. 
No, they literally can't breathe without yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also how do you like choose how far you back you go back in time? There's no like dial up or machine, you just so like think it in your brain and it happens. Cody, that's that's, that's, that's the that's thing wild. you don't understand. It's not it is not instantaneous time travel. It is like I will invert myself and then everything is moving in reverse at regular speed. So for in order for me to go back in time a week, go I back have in to wait moment. a week. Okay. I just invert myself and then wait a week. And then now <laughs> I've gone back in time a week. And then I go to a turnstile again and reinvert myself. Like, and I'll be in the past now moving forward. Actually, fair enough. I did not know that. So I do appreciate it. So you that's how that. it works. But huh. again, unclear how to get forward. There is no like fast I forward. Didn't... <laughs> Why didn't they say that? <laughs> I, well, like I no- think the scene, the, the scene, I'm sure people are loving listening to this, but maybe they under, now understand it as well. The scene that I think really kind of, if you like start to break it down is the satyr interrogating her and shooting her. In the timeline of events, mm. we see John David Washington get pulled in and he's talking to the reverse version of satyr, right? And he's like, tell me, I'll know you're going to lie. I'll have to shoot her, blah, 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 blah. But then he rolls up into the room and he's like, tell me, I know you're going to lie. I know you're going to lie. And he's like, what the fuck? I literally just told you. And then Seder goes back in time. And in order, then like that version of himself is the thing that talked to him in the past. And that's, he knows he's going to get the information out of him. And then he just does everything in reverse. Like it's played back. It's crazy to me. It's really I like interesting. That scene, I think was played pretty well, just because like the car sequence too. Even in this time on the rewatch, I forgot that that was a wash like in the car. Cause I was like, why is this car just in the middle? And it like bounces off and goes in. I was like, what is this guy doing here? But then when it like uh, flipped over, I was like, oh, I do remember he, he was in there. So that's kind of a cool, just like mini reference that I feel like you forget about, even though you have seen the film before. I think that scene probably is the most clear. And like you said, that specific thing too, where he's like, I just told you, and then he, he kind of walks through and, and it, it happens all over again. I think that's specifically cool. I feel like when they do try to explain it, the dialogue is just kind of like completely boring. And There's I so thought- much exposition in this film. There's a few people <laughs> that are like really tasked with giving it. I don't want to mm-hmm. step on quote or whose line is it anyway category down the road. But like like I said, Fleur Delacour, the uh, Clements Posey actress, that doctor lady, she has to just like, give a lot of bullshit Priya has to explain some stuff Seder even in like the 150th minute Eve's Aaron Taylor Johnson has to be like like all these just actors have to come in and be like okay your job is to deliver 10 lines of exposition to our protagonist and he's just going to get a little bit a little bit more information as he goes more and more down the road I think if they just like at the start like kind of explained him once and then you just run with it and you don't have to do that 10 times. I think that would have made it better. Cause I feel like every time somebody else said something, cause the entire movie too, it's like the first hour is basically just a mystery. I feel like, like you're kind of just going through this with, you know, wash and being like, so how does this work? What's going on? And nobody will give him actual information until deep into the movie. So I feel like the more confused that he gets, the more confused that I get. And then at some point there's just like no return. Like it doesn't even matter what these idiots are saying at this point. I, I kind of stopped listening because half of them are feeding them bull crap. The other half are just exposition dumping stuff I really don't even understand. So if you like at the start of the movie, if it was just like, okay, like they should have just done like a machine walk with like uh, Kenneth Branagh because he didn't show up until 
like an hour and a half in anyway. So just do like a normal machine walk where he's in it and then it's inverted and you get all the exposition of how that works. And that would have made more sense. But honestly, you like explaining half of it clarifies the majority of the film for me. So I do appreciate that. But um, in general, I think this movie is kind of shit. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's just a mess. I, I think it's too long. Uh, we'll get into it more, but this may be one of my least favorite Nolan films. Um, but it's still not bad. Like I said, those those three action set pieces are freaking dope. And I will watch those all day. But everything in between, it, it, it's kind of take your labor for me. Well, I'm excited to get to the bottom of whether this movie is worse or better than Interstellar. Let's talk the trailer. We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. Nuclear holocaust? No. Something worse. For you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. Don't try to understand it. stuff that trailer i can really say you know i think it was interesting because like the first 50 seconds of the trailer are essentially martin donovan dialogue who's only in the movie for maybe five minutes at the beginning but he's kind of like doing all the setup um i know you mentioned that you kind of like forgot that this was a time travel movie i would say due to kind of like the general secrecy about this project about what's happening even you know not a lot of information is given away in the trailer like I just don't think they they want you to know it's about time travel necessarily. Like you see stuff being reversed, but it's very much um, a mystery of what's going on. 100%. I think they do keep most of their cards pretty close to the chest, which I am a fan of. And I would assume that Nolan had a, a decent amount of say in that. But I thought, yeah, I think it's a decent trailer. I mean, it just teases kind of those three set pieces very well. Um, they do give a little bit of the car away, uh, but that's not even like, how it is in the movie because obviously those two specific scenes that were cut together to look like that are like a half hour apart i think but just in the trailer obviously you can do that but i thought it was an effective trailer uh it has kind of that nolny music i feel like which all of his trailers do which i was a fan of but yeah what were your thoughts on it 
Yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. Obviously, you know, you get the from Christopher Nolan really marketing it on his name. Um, oh, this yeah. is the first trailer, I think. So I'm sure they gave away more information, but I, I don't know how much you remember the marketing of this film, but it was, it was pretty interesting throughout because before Hobbs and Shaw, they would play like a 40 second teaser trailer in theater. So it was just John David Washington's face and like a flash of like from Christopher Nolan, Tenet. And then it said something about like, meet the a new pro, new kind of protagonist which is kind of an interesting thing because it's like a meta commentary of like Nolan films in a certain way but also like textual this he's literally the protagonist in this film like that's his character name um which I think is an interesting and then also I don't know if you ever saw this but before so showings of Rise of Skywalker in 2019 they would show the first six minutes of the film just straight the prologue the Kiev Opera House scene would just start playing with no like oh hey here's a look at tenet and it was really confusing i remember it i think it happened to my brother it happened to me where like you would go in and see the movie and it's just like the fucking opera scene which is disorienting in itself in the film um but even more especially so before a, a movie like that that is very strange marketing honestly i i do not think i saw that in front of rise of skywalker well to be fair that's probably barren most of that movie but I, how somehow we didn't even talk about the opening scene too because it's it's really inconsequential to the rest of the movie strange enough but i don't really like the opening scene at all either but um yeah that is weird marketing i the one marketing thing i do like in the trailer though is like the title where you have like the upside down t and then obviously the end kind of looks the same so i think that's kind of cool everything like and they do that a lot on the poster too so I think like from a visual standpoint, uh, that is pretty dope, obviously just kind of with the context of the movie. But uh, yeah, decent trailer. I think it's kind of a, a Nolan fanboy cut of it. Uh, it's kind of like typical Nolanisms, I would think. But uh, I do like the uh, the title stuff. According to Wikipedia, they had to change and remove that stylization due to similarities with a bicycle brand. Oh, the bicycle brake. Uh, <laughs> They cleaned them out in the courts, probably. So <laughs> logos were too similar. So following that trailer, no more, no more upside, upside wow. down tees. Brutal. That is absolutely brutal. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good. I mean, I think the the thing that you can appreciate about Nolan for the most part is that he is like a very original storyteller, and he's one of the few people that's like putting out films at a large blockbuster, big budget level, and still doing it from his like own scripts, his own source material. Obviously, yes, he made three Batman films, but I don't see him ever really working in that world of IP in the same way. And I think this movie is just so unique because of the original inventive storytelling that he brings. Um, it's also just really cool to see like big movie stars doing like movie star shit on screen. I don't know. I think this movie has a lot of great stuff about it, but I'll throw it over to you to to hear a little bit of your thoughts. Yeah, I think this movie definitely has some some bright spots in it. I mean, I will any day of the week watch an original Nolan film. So um, if I come off a little bit negative in this in this podcast, you know, that's just because I'm a picky guy. But uh, I mean, there's no way I don't think anybody else could really make a movie like this and and have it be successful the way this is. So. Shout out to Nolan. Heck of a guy. Uh, this movie's definitely better than Interstellar, I would say. There's no question about that. The first hour of this movie, like I said, it's it's kind of different from the rest, but I think possibly I like it better than uh, the second and third act. 
Um, mainly because Kenneth Branagh has nothing to do with it um, in a sense, or he's not there at least. And um, it's kind of just like, like I was saying too, exploring kind of the inverted stuff. Michael Caine's there. Uh, Michael Caine, uh, you know, has a good scene, I think, with with Wash. But it's kind of just like the fish out of water from a, an audience perspective because you're like, this looks really, really cool visually, but I don't really understand how it works. Um, and then once they explain it, I think it does go downhill a little bit. But obviously, too, I, I wanted to touch on the three action scenes. The plane action scene, I actually really, really love. I don't know why, but just ramming a massive jet into like this art gallery, just kind of a cool thing. And I like the visual thing too of like the gas comes in and takes the oxygen out and then wash like he snaps, he snaps like his unlock key thing and they're like panicking. So I think that scene, is it's like super intense too, where like these random guys just come out of the wall and start fighting him for some reason. Like, what is even going on? But he's doing, like, weird, you know, inverted flips and stuff. Like, dang, like, this is kind of cool from a visual, just, like, action style. Do you think um, this is Nolan's best fight choreography? It's a good question. I mean, he doesn't do really a ton of, like, crazy action. Obviously, like, uh, the Batman stuff. is. But even that's, stuff. like, relatively tame for the most yeah, part. You know, like, I mean, Razagul and such, they're, they're quite ninjas, but... You know, it's limited and there's some cool choreo in Inception with like the hallway and stuff. But yeah. I think as a whole piece, this to me is his best work. Good point. The Inception fight, um, probably just that scene alone is is better than most of this. Uh, but that just how but just like practically how they did that, too, is, is unbelievable. Um, and yeah, in like the Dark Knight Rises, there's like extras falling down in the background. So I guess it's not that good. But uh, yeah, I think this is pretty creative and pretty genius. Um, I honestly don't know how he even shot most of his stuff. Obviously, it's just in reverse, but just kind of how they edited it all together. Well, and the I actors think. had to like learn to move in reverse. And like, they like, I mean, it's very particular about because obviously half of the scene is not in reverse. Like, you know, it's crazy. And at the end, too, where I mean, there's like 50 guys running forward in the battlefield and then there's 50 others, you know, inverses and there's bombs going everywhere. Just really cool stuff. So yeah, I think visually this movie's dope and I go on and on and on, but I think genuinely this is one of the most unique looking films that we will probably ever see. So shout out to Nolan. Good guy. Nolan can do big practical set pieces. Like you said, the plane is super cool, but I really appreciate the way this movie is kind of laid out and it's pacing. And I know you might disagree with that, but like at the 40 minute mark, we get the Freeport heist, which is the plane. And mm -hmm. that's essentially kind of like, it's a mix between a big action thing, but then also them doing like an Ocean's Eleven break in, you know, jewelry heist, right? They're trying to steal a painting or whatever <clears throat> and then get sidetracked by reverse JDW. But at the 40 minute mark, you get that. Then at the hour 20 mark, so exactly 40 minutes later, you get the big car chase in Tallinn in Estonia. And there's the reverse stuff in that. And that one extends on for a little bit. And then two hours, so another 40 minutes from that is the big final battle. And then the movie ends, you know, 15 minutes later. So I really like how those three set pieces are perfectly spaced. Like every 40 minutes in the film, you get a big action set piece. I think it's also really cool that like we get to relive those first two like i mean i remember sitting there in the theater and like like you said we didn't really know that this is a time travel movie we weren't really sure exactly what was happening these two really cool scenes happen 
And then it's like, let's fucking play the hits. Let's run it back. And I guess you maybe say that doesn't work this effectively for you, but I think that's really cool that it's like, hey, we did something really well. We're going to fucking do it again. And it's going to be both important to the story and visually interesting. Fair enough. And I'll get more into the bad too, but I, I feel like it's um, it's pretty predictable. I don't know. Like, obviously it's the second watch. So I know what's going to happen, but I feel like it's obvious he, he's fighting himself, especially with the whole Rob Pat thing where he takes off his mask and then just, you know, lets him go off. It's like, okay, it's either Rob Pat or, or it's Wash. It's one of those two. Um, and yeah, obviously the more and more it goes along too, you're like, Robert Pattinson, he literally knows everything. So I wonder who hired him. Oh, it's definitely not, you know, uh, you know, Wash, but uh, whatever. <laughs> also, another good thing, speaking about Rob Pat, I think he's really good in this movie. I think he is my standout performance, 100%. Um, I don't know if I've seen Rob Pat be, you know, bad in too much stuff. Haven't watched any Twilight movies. Maybe I'm missing out there, but I genuinely think he's a pretty good actor. And, uh, you know, if he kind of inspired Nolan a little bit to go into an Oppenheimer direction, give me, give me more Rob Pat and Nolan down the line, man. I, I think this should be his new sort of Christian Bale in a sense and just use this in Michael Caine, I guess. I mean, it's I mean, silly. I mean, yeah, true, true. I mean, he's got a, a repertoire of actors like we've talked about before that he loves to work with. Give me Rob Pat with all those people kind of moving forward and, and I'll be happy because I think he is by far, uh, at, at least out of the kind of the, the main three or four here, the best very, very easily. I, I got a shout out, John. I mean, I think all of the performances, the three main ones, DeBicki, Washington and Pattinson are good. We we might talk about Branagh a little bit later, but I think John David Washington is good in this. I think he's a revelation as a movie star. It's I'm excited to see, you know, him be in some more stuff like this. Maybe the creator this year coming out later, kind of leading a sci-fi film as opposed to bad Netflix spy thrillers like Beckett or, or you know, whatever else he's, he's done. Um, but I, I think he's really good in this. And I think it's really cool that Nolan chose him as opposed to doing the typical analog version of him you know, Pattinson is his analog in this film, but he's not the main character as he he often is, like in Inception or, um, you know, even Batman. <laughs> you know, he's always he's always styling his leads as himself. Um, and it's cool that Washington it truly is a new kind of protagonist for Nolan. True. Maybe that's why uh, <laughs> they say protagonist about a hundred times. Uh, that's totally not annoying. But one other thing I do say a lot too, which I do like. They just they toss around the word tenant about a hundred times in this film. And it's a code word, I man. I kind of dig it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna hate on it. Um, it's kind of like the cool mythology, even in this movie, of like obviously like this was founded in the future, but all these people in the past are like a part of it. I think that's really dope. And just like just in like casual conversation between like two people who like are probably going to kill each other and then they just like bring up tenant it's like oh, okay we're cool <laughs> it's a complete get out of free jail card i feel like and um you know roll credits a lot but i i like it I, i'm a big fan of, of the title and, and the way they use it are you familiar with the Seder square cody and its significance to this film is that the box thing they're looking for i don't know what the Seder square is now the Seder square uh is a basically latin palindromic set of phrases and words that is dates back to like Pompeii and it's basically a list of phrases that when you line them up no matter which way you look at it they they work forward and backwards so the words are satyr of course the villain of our film a repo that's his, that's his name oh, a repo okay. the you know the painter guy 
tenet, which in itself is a palindrome, and then the opposite of Arepo is opera, the opera house of the film, and the opposite of Seder is Rodos, which is the company that Seder owns. So like each of these things, but then also like when you look at it in a box, the RO makes opera down also across. So it's a, it's a cool thing, you know, throw up a picture or whatever, Seder's wear it, cool. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of, it's a very Nolan thing of like, that's where he gets a lot of the names and ideas for this film and then Tenet being the center of it all. Oh, uh, that's even cooler. So I, I love that explanation. Um, yeah, that's pretty dope. Shout out uh, Seder. I don't really, I don't really love that name, but because uh, opera too, it, that's that's what um, Wash says to uh, Kenneth Branagh right before he's going to kill him too. He's like, uh how do you want to die? And he says, um, old, which is actually a really good line. And then he's just like, Oh, uh, you ever been to the opera? He's like, Oh shit. All right. This guy's cool. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of the same, uh, get out, get out of jail free card. I, I love that. Shout out to the opera, a man of culture. <laughs> and speaking of music, I got to shout it out, Cody, you know, I'm going to do it. The composer mm. of this film, my boy, Ludwig <laughs> von Gorenson oh. <laughs> is, uh, the composer because, Hans Zimmer was unavailable to do this film because he was busy uh, scoring a little film called Dune. You know, shout out Hans Zimmer. Uh, But because of that, Zimmer said, well, here is who I would suggest is my replacement, Ludwig Gordonson. And Christopher Nolan said, okay. And I think the score of this film is fantastic. If we get into the bad, the sound mixing is not great. And we've talked about this in Nolan films in the past. We even talked about it when we saw this film in theaters. It is hard to understand the characters at some points. And it is almost better to watch this film with subtitles on because Nolan purposely blasts the music and the score so much higher than some of the other audio tracks at times. That was 100%. Of my, that probably would have been in my initial thoughts if uh, the plot didn't just befuddle me. But um, yeah, I mean, the mixing in the theaters, I legitimately, that's probably why I didn't understand the movie even more too. Because <laughs> Like the first half hour, every time uh, they're on like a boat or something, I could not hear anything they're saying. So subtitles, that's a constant for me, honestly, uh, when I'm watching media, you know, in my at home setup. Um, so obviously I, it was a definite, definite must in this sense. But I did like the score. It kind of had those Hans Zimmer-esque moments, too. So I think maybe he was, you know, bringing that a little bit into it, too. Obviously, just being his replacement. But yeah, this guy's not bad. Obviously, you know, you're a massive fan of him, but I think he's pretty good at it. But uh, there were scenes with Kenneth Branagh. I remember one where, um, well, he's yelling at his wife, and I guess in every scene, but there's one where I think it's the first time where he like screams at her and it's like, bah, bah, bah. I was like, oh, that, that was a pretty good score. So there are kind of standouts that I, I was thinking throughout. So shout out. Yeah. To and I know like uh, Gordonson talked about working on like palindromic music and music that could be played backwards and forwards and some of the like rhythmic blaring is is really strong and it like sets a a true air of tension to every scene that really builds throughout um also the cinematography Hoytman Hoytma the cinematographer on this film also has done a lot of other Nolan films like Interstellar and Dunkirk and and even this Oppenheimer movie coming out this weekend but he also shot Nope which I think is just like an absolutely stunning film. So um, the visual style is is very impressive. Oh yeah, everything visual here is amazing, and uh, I really like Nope too. So yeah, shout out to that guy as well. Let's talk about the bad. 
Cody, take it away. What's bad about this? <laughs> I'm fiending. I'm absolutely fiending. Um, off the bat, dude, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I buy uh, John David Washington as a good actor. I thought, you know, when I when I uh, saw Amsterdam, I was like, because and you can go back to some calf episodes here, but I believe my review of it was like, there's something off with the dialogue. I I don't understand why I don't like the dialogue. And I think there is an issue. Obviously, there's a lot of issues to that movie. But I think low-key John David Washington may be one of them in hindsight. Um, and again, the dialogue in this movie, too, is kind of similar where it's just like it's trying really hard to be like super quick and super quippy and interesting. I'm just not a massive fan of that style. I feel like especially if you do it in such a long movie with such boring characters uh, to start off as well. But uh yeah, watch watch his performances here. I don't know, just like the way he talks, I feel like is so unrealistic. Like he doesn't he doesn't like space out his words. He just kind of like word vomits the entire sentence. I do think he's a good guy. I, I like him overall, but I I just don't think this is the right character for him. And same thing in Amsterdam. Kind of like the quippy fast talking guy. I don't think that's who he is. So I think he should well, maybe stay away from those a little bit. What I will say is like I think he's your mileage may vary on the movie, but I think he's actually pretty good in, in Malcolm and Marie, the him and Zendaya movie, where like he's being forced to live deliver like a lot of very hoity-toity Sam Levinson. I'm a director and I've seen movies dialogue, but he does it pretty effectively. The thing is in this movie, his style of acting is like, I don't buy him as like a regular real person. And I don't think he works in like a romance. Like I don't think John David Washington in like a a dramatic, like emotional performance or like a rom-com really makes sense. But in like hyper stylized, stuff even like black clansman i think he fits really well into that world of like because he's like playing up the 70s of it all and he's like doing a really heavy accent i think there's something almost like cartoonish and over the top and and theatrical or not even like theatrical in the like stage version of what he's doing at all times that i think is just really interesting and to me the protagonist of this film shouldn't be some regular guy it should be this like weird eccentric guy who like somehow knows about everything somehow knows exactly what a a goya looks like on first glance knows what free ports are like just has this like endless information about every cultural event around i don't know he 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 works as a spy to me and he works as our unnamed protagonist uh you just contradicted pretty much everything i want to say (laughs) here's some pricks with me this a couple things on on wash though uh, he's really good at doing pull-ups, so shout out to him. I think that's mad impressive. Uh, he's a former but, football player, so like the physical acting, like that stuff oh, is really good. Oh yeah, I agree. Put him in a bunch more action movies too. But um, like him climbing to the top of like uh, whatever that water tower, water, whatever. Uh, what's the fucking word for it? The wind turbine. <laughs> yeah, there you go, turbine. Yeah, when he's in the turbine and he climbs all the way to the top, and he's legitimately doing like ten straight pull-ups. That's impressive, man. And then there's another cool shot. He's hot, Cody. Yes, I know. (laughs) Well, I wasn't saying that, but there's another cool shot. Well, I mean, yeah, fair enough. But uh, when it's in the boat and it's kind of like an establishing shot and then it turns around to the other side and he's just on the back doing more pull-ups. Like, that's that's a dope shot. So shout out. To your point that you were talking about there, I think he's – well, (laughs) I don't know. It's not kind of counter your point, but I think his character is a terrible spy in this movie in a sense. Um. Specifically, I want to shout out a scene. He gets caught like being a peeping Tom 
Um, <laughs> and he's just so obviously just like staring at them from like five feet away. Um, so I don't know if he's a great spy. Also, he gets captured at least three times and should have he should have been dead at least five, I think. Just some inverse crap saved him. But that's uh, like a- the ch- the like charming, like he's like able to like get out of all those situations, just kind of being like, Oh, I didn't know you guys were really that bad. Like, I don't know. Like he kind it's something about it. It sells for me. It works. Also, when he, he he basically helps uh Kenneth Branagh get like this last piece. Like he oh, does 100%. <laughs> he sets it all up and then he he's the one who gives it to him at the end too. Um and the other thing to touch on, on what you said there too, but I really dislike that his name is like just the protagonist. I think that's really lazy writing. Maybe it is just kind of just like Nolan's thing because uh, obviously I don't think, did he write this entire script? I don't know. Probably did he alone? Jonathan, know. maybe. Well, Jonathan Nolan. Actually. Yeah. Johnny boy's always there with him too. I guess to be fair, but I guess in a sense, like you said, it is a bit of a different protagonist because it's not like Nolan putting himself in the protagonist. Maybe it's kind of like just a written by Christopher. Well, well, fair enough. Maybe it's just like a meta, his own thing where he's like, I'm going to make a completely different protagonist from what I always do. So I'm going to call him the protagonist. Um, I guess that's fair, but I don't know. It's just stupid. Like, just give him a name. Everyone else in this freaking movie has a name, except for John David Washington. And I'm not going to call him the protagonist. So I got to come up with some dumb nickname for him. For some time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really dislike that. I have a couple other things too, but I want to hear your thoughts on on some of the bad. Okay, so we've already clarified that this movie doesn't really make sense when you start to think about like how time travel works. And I mean, any time travel, you get into the grandfather paradox and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's just, that's the problem. When you try and put it on film, like you have to come up with a be all end all solution of like, what are your rules for time travel? And I think this movie kind of, like I said, just, says man fuck it whatever like we don't really care and we're not going to explain it to you and while that does work when you just let it wash over you when you start to think about it it is bad and it's poor in the making of this film also the final battle we've we talked about how it is a really cool set piece and an exciting fight when you're watching it it is impossible to comprehend what is going on who's fighting who i literally do you see villains in that final fight like i don't know who the bad guys are at any moment it literally just looks like it's the good guy forces fighting each other from different times like ends like it's just it's that is the biggest complaint i have about this film is that the final set piece is literally incoherent to watch it is cool but i cannot follow what's happening yeah that is fair i guess you don't really get any glimpses of kind of who they are fighting other than there's just bombs going off but you just see like the blue team and the red team just like running both around. shooting buildings from different sides of the time they're even they were shooting the car that rob pat was in yeah <laughs> for no reason so i think they're just shooting everybody who they kind of don't know i guess but yeah kind of just a mess overall i guess but I don't know. I feel like that is kind of a weird set piece in a sense too. Like maybe did COVID affect that a little bit? Because it's it's like this thing. This movie too, was like, shot entirely before COVID. It was done. Really? I wouldn't have been shocked if it was like, oh, like uh, maybe they ran out of the budget or something too. Because it's just like an abandoned random town and there's kind of nobody there. I thought that was Stalsk like- 12, dude. It's, it's Seder's former home. I don't even. And that's the whole thing too. The whole Michael Caine conversation I don't even know like where that came from. And then at the end, he's like, oh, Michael Caine told me this. I was like, sure, dude. I don't remember that, but let's go there. But 
Yeah, I do agree with you there. Um, and um, uh, kind of on those lines as well with uh, Kenneth Brana, might as well just keep talking about him because I don't particularly love his performance here. I think Kenneth Brana is acting. He's an actor, and he's also very Russian. He's Russian. We get it, dude. You're a Russian bad guy, but I think he's milking every single line that he has here. And I don't love his accent. I, I don't he's in the uh, river of ham, some might say. <laughs> yeah, he's deep in there. But yeah, I, I don't love his performance. Obviously, his character is just a real dick, so that doesn't help either. But I don't think he's the best. Although Kenneth Branagh is clearly an actor. I don't think he's good. He's also a director. <laughs> I think his performance is not great, but as like essentially the Bond, because that's the other thing we haven't really talked about. This is like Nolan getting to make a Bond movie without the permission of the family that has control over those things because they'll never let Christopher Nolan make a Bond movie. But this is him doing it. And as a Bond villain, as a big, you know, big evil bad, I think he's fun and campy. However, him and DeBecky ever having some sort of romantic relationship that like, in the first place I don't buy it all like it makes sense that they'd be estranged now of course but like I just don't see how they were even in the scenes in the end where like they're supposed to be like playing up their relationship that they once had like to me like I don't see how she was ever in love with this guy or how they ever had any chemistry and those two actors don't have any chemistry together yeah that's a good point I mean um I I, like I feel like the entire movie it's it's Wash and Becky who kind of actually has some decent chemistry so that's kind of out of left field um i mean obviously like young kid too like they shouldn't be that far kind of apart i don't know at that point but obviously in like situations of power and money and dynamics like things can change and he's has a hold over her right and like the situation she's in is unfortunate however i don't think really christopher nolan is like any expert on that or like on female interests or female stories or like being stuck in a power dynamic like that so to me it's like just a half-assed attempt at creating depth and a female character in this movie which which may even get into the ugly as we go um i mentioned the sound mixing as being bad i do want to hit on that as well like this movie without the subtitles like you said it's already hard enough to understand don't make it even more harder and especially when like Nolan said it's like an intentional choice I just think that's bad and then the last thing Freeports Cody I, I just want to I mean what the what the fuck's the deal with Freeports I mean we're not talking about Freeports enough I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing about the movie necessarily but did you know about Freeports um I wasn't particularly aware of them I mean do they even exist I feel like For real man be, Freeports they could be making up crap and who knows but Nolan has to I mean, he's like exposing the truth with this movie. I guess he has a, an agenda to talk about Freeports, but yeah, he's doing a lot with the film. I don't hate that. I mean, it is kind of a bogus uh, profession. If I'm being completely honest, doesn't seem kind of the most legitimate. But hey, you do you. It sometimes I did want to hit on too. I mean, uh, what you're saying about this being like a Bond film, I never even thought about it like that. But it Loki is. I feel like if you take out kind of the time travel stuff, this is a a beat for beat Bond film like you got the bond girl you got a crazy you know psycho killer villain who's gonna take out the world really over the top and then this really like stoic hero who kind of the entire time was just doing it for the girl i feel like low-key yeah that's kind of an interesting i would i would 100 want to see uh no one direct bond film i'd pay good money for that he's technically british they should let him have it but they never will what do you mean technically he well he like grew up in america and so like he's <laughs> 
Oh, he's an American. I think he's, he's technically, like, yeah, he's British American. So like, he's got an accent. So, I mean, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, but then like his brother doesn't. I think he grew up in England for some of the times so he has an accent, then his brother doesn't because he lives in America. I don't know. They're British American. Uh, shout out to both of them. Shout out to the Nolans. Shout out to the ugly because Christopher Nolan, not known to write good female characters. Um, obviously, you have all the the Bale girlfriends, and then of course in Inception you have the dead wife. Lots of dead wives over the history of Nolan films. This one, she is alive. However, her real, her only motivation is just that she has a kid, and that seems to be like the only thing that Nolan can really like latch on to. Of like, well, if I'm gonna have a woman here, she's gonna have like a kid, right? Because that's like, oh, that's the only reason she would want to save the world if child that's good motivation right have i used that one before just a couple times <laughs> but uh yeah i'm on the same page i mean also her entire kind of storyline is just she's being blackmailed by her husband <laughs> like i don't know it's... i think to be, i think elizabeth to be is great i think she yeah. of the of the nolan female character she's probably one of the best written which is sad to say but i think it is at least positive to recognize that we've got a somewhat developed female character as opposed to just dead wife living in dreams um or dead wife not being talked about as i go off to space blah 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 <laughs> you know etc <laughs> etc et she's there more at least uh, i do like your interactions with uh rob pat and uh and wash when they're hanging out in the uh the cargo or whatever um i mean also another just massive thing to bring up on this topic do you like I mean, he just kind of beats the crap out of her and like spits on her and stuff. So bad guy, Ken Brennell, not good guy. No, just just tough overall. I think in in most of those scenes. So what about when he wanted to stuff John David Washington's balls down his own throat? <laughs> That's kind of funny though. <laughs> the way he described it too, it's like I feel like this guy is crazy enough to kind of go to this length to see you know somebody he dislikes a little bit, you know, just suffer a little bit more. So. I've never kind of heard that before. I don't know how you, you stuff somebody's balls in their throat, but could not be, you know, fun going through that. So, yeah, I wish that was kind of a visual thing we saw because I'm sure no one would, would tackle that firsthand. But, yeah. <laughs> also, like we mentioned it, like John David Washington, him being the protagonist of this film is a big deal because it's like one of the first black people that Nolan has had in a film period, much less be the lead of his movie. Um, but I think it is really cool that, that John David Washington is the lead at the very least. Yeah. Diversity wise, I feel like historically, yeah, like you said, I mean, Nolan has, has not been the best. So to see, like you're saying, I mean, Wash in the lead, that is definitely cool from a creative standpoint. Uh, he didn't continue it on with Oppenheimer, unfortunately. He said, Oh, I uh, I used wash for this he one. He had to like, over. I think he overcorrected the other direction. Yeah. He's like, how many white guys can I find? It's a little unfortunate. Yeah, pretty tough on that angle too. But hey, got to keep it historical, man. Got to be got to be realistic. <laughs> Any other ugly, Cody? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Nuclear yeah. Holocaust, not great. Uh, well, it's worse than a nuclear Holocaust, whatever that means. But time, <laughs> a time Holocaust. Brutal. Let's take a quick break. And we'll be right back. And we're back with Whose Line Is It Anyway? Welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway? And we're giving some quotes and guessing who said them. I've got a great one, Cody. Oh, yeah. Best quote of the movie. I think mine are pretty bad, honestly, this week, but <laughs> I'm interested to hear yours. I need big guns 
guns that make a point without being fired. We need a fast card that doesn't look fast, four heavy vehicles, all different, plus coach, 18-wheeler, one has to be a fire truck. Most of all, we have to set this up with nothing in the record, nothing electronic, nothing paper. And uh, they definitely used some paper. Uh, but that was uh, that was my boy Wash. Good dialogue. Um, I like that scene too. The the kind of just ramming the guy with the with the big trucks. I haven't talked about that, but the thing is, I, in the pacing of this film, I love how like the setup of each heist is so quick. It's not like a huge planning stage. We get we see Rob Pattinson take his one visit to the Freeport, and that's kind of like hyper cut into a montage of 30 seconds and then they're instantly robbing the place we see john david washington deliver this one line of dialogue about we need big guns guns that make a point a fast car four big cars and then like we're just into the heist and we're going to see how they use the things he just listed in an effective and exciting way so i think that stuff is really cool it does the setup super quickly and just throws you right in uh, also they didn't get that fast of a car either because they got chased down a couple times uh, but I'll throw one of my quotes at you here. This is probably my favorite from the movie. Um, when this was said in the movie, I immediately paused it and uh, made sure I got it exactly right. So uh, be prepared. But uh, there's a couple quotes that like I was close to doing, but I was like, I already have two. I don't need to do that for every <laughs> absurd line of dialogue in this film. Excited uh, to hear what you wrote down. Super quotable. Uh, all right, look at me. You don't negotiate with a tiger. You admire a tiger until he turns on you. And you feel it's true fucking nature. <laughs> well, I, I believe it's a PG-13 movie too, right? That's the one F-bomb? Shout out to it. Get the F-bomb in there. Shout out to uh, Canada Brown. He's the fucking tiger. Dude. You don't negotiate <laughs> with him. Um, no negotiating for children or otherwise. Uh, separating release, nothing. It's yeah, it is, it, it is the crazy Russian man himself. I guess they like tigers in Russia. But uh, I think my favorite part is just the beginning where he's like, he's just screaming saying, look at me. He needs all eyes out of it at all times. You know, he's a he's a roaring tiger. So, yeah, kind of kind of weird stuff there. C plus on the uh, accent though. Yeah, not great. I didn't even go for it. So it's an F. So this one is a back and forth. The middle quote is just the protagonist saying it. So I'll tell you that you have to identify the other speaker. Okay. Uh huh. So, speaker A. Well, if your particles come into contact, and then the protagonist says what? And then Wheeler goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is going to be a tough one to guess. And then the other person goes, Annihilation, which I just love. I had to shout that out because uh, uh, shout out to uh, Annihilation, another another film of ours. That is a great line. Um, I should have wrote that down because that's probably one of my favorites. But shout out to Annihilation, man. I feel like uh, no one would really love that movie, too. So maybe it was kind of a, a smaller shout out to it. But yeah, Alex Garland, that's the guy. Uh, but I think it's Wheeler, right? Uh, not sure. I don't. I would have never even known that's her name, but it's a scientist chick. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's one it's of Aaron Taylor Johnson's cronies. She's a she's like another military, and she delivers like five lines of dialogue. Her sole purpose in the film is to explain how the inversion works to John David Washington. He's like, anything in particular I need to go, and she's like. Yeah, you can't breathe real air. Driving might be hard. Don't come into contact with your real self. The air is going to be moving. Like, she just lays all that shit out. And that's like her one purpose. So, shout out to that character, Wheeler. Her and uh, Michael Kane really carried the exposition. But yeah, fair enough. I, I completely forgot that character existed. But I think this probably also goes into the ugly, but I guess it's important to mention that, like, 
outside of Debicki, every other female character in this movie's role is to like just show up and deliver exposition. So it's like Clements Posey as the doctor just explains like the very initial basics of inversion. And then you get this Wheeler character that explains the very basics of like what happens when you go out to the world as an inverted person. And then you get, maybe it's Wheeler again or a different character, I honestly don't remember, that's like doing the debrief of, okay, we're gonna do a temporal pincer movement and you guys are gonna be team A with the red and they're gonna be team B with the blue. And like, that's what the rest of the female characters in this movie do. Yeah, it must be the same character. It might I, I would yeah, I would think. So maybe she does have more dialogue, but um, yeah, didn't even need to bring up the Bechdel test. I mean, it's a Nolan film, so obviously it's a automatic fail. Don't even need to watch it. Um, but good line. I have one more for you, and um, I don't know if you're gonna get it. This may be the shortest quote of all time, and is whose line is in it, anyways? Uh, uh, pre-retirement as well. So shout out to it. Are you ready? One word. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome it really is my prediction is it is it the guy who's driving the car that sees john david washington walk out uh after he kicks the dude's asses at the restaurant and then he's like oh and then he drives off is that the answer <laughs> at the restaurant like when when john david washington has his sick fist fight which you haven't even talked about oh. with the cheese grater in the kitchen oh, and then he walks yeah. out and the guy drives off i'm assuming that's not maybe he says that about. that's not what i was specifically talking about that's what's that's what's your oh <laughs> so this oh is said uh my by uh my guy wash um so it's when cat it was that uh, vicky she's talking about how kenneth brana saw like she was taking her uh, his offer seriously to like leave forever and never see his son again when they were in the cargo, like they're talking about some serious shit or I think it was right before he's going to leave when they're in the little tent thing. And she's like monologuing and he just goes, Oh, and then, and then she monologues again for another like minute and a half. <laughs> but uh, I feel like that's just a testament to, uh, to watch his acting in this movie. Yeah. Even though, I mean, there's nothing he can do. It's the script evidently, but he literally just says, Oh, out loud. And I feel like he didn't mean to. So I had to shout it out. Oh, Oh, great, great line delivery. I should have guessed, of course, it was the protagonist. Uh, looking back at the scene, I do not believe the car driver says anything. He just throws that thing in drive and, and oh, drives off booked out. when he sees uh, Washington walk out. Don't blame him. Scary guy. Invite, fight, night. I dump thee. So, William. Cody, who do you want to invite on the pod? I think, I mean, you could go different ways here just because. Uh, there's always somebody can explain it better than somebody else, but who I'm going to say here, well, in, in general, too, pretty much just anybody from the future, because we don't really get their perspective on anything, which I think is pretty important. I don't really understand their motives completely. I guess by like killing everyone in the past, is that just like peace in mind? They because... end their suffering in the future, but they've yeah. already lived through it. So, but what do they care? I mean, we're still alive. So, it's it's a mess it doesn't really make sense i mean also the grandfather paradox i feel like they don't really believe in it but at the same time so even if they kill everybody well i guess i mean their plan is to wipe out all existence like this will collapse all of time in on itself as far as i'm aware it'll invert everything 
So like, it's not necessarily destroying the past. It's like, it will destroy everything instantaneously. Right. But because of they, climate change, well, like, is what it's all about. They're pissed off about in the world of nuclear. I don't know. And they have to do it in the past because that's where it was hidden, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, no, no, no. They're going to do it in the future because oh, they're going to dig it up. It was hidden in the past. Seder finds it, reassembles it, and then tells them where it is for the future to dig it up in Stalls 12. Okay, so then they're going to set it off in the future? But yeah, then... which will then destroy everything simultaneously. Why, though? Because, I mean, we would just keep living out. So we don't it, even... It'll, the, the entire future will become inverted. So the entire yeah. world will simultaneously yeah. start moving backwards, which will then yeah. disrupt all of time and it will collapse in. With, with the, the, the new device or whatever. I got you. Yeah. Well, regardless, I, I just want to hear their thoughts. Specifically to you, I did just say the scientist Oppenheimer girl. I'd love to hear her thoughts because, I mean, we could probably delve into kind of similar Oppenheimer stuff being like, oh, I didn't mean to create, you know, this weapon that could destroy the world. But, you know, scientifically speaking, I was kind of just the curious one who was maybe forced into it a little bit. So I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. I like that a lot. Um, For me, I got to get to, what's the deal with this Arepo guy? He's fucking mentioned so many times. And I know we're led to believe that maybe he was murdered by Seder and his, his cronies, but let's get him before he gets killed. Let's get Arepo on. I mean, Goya forger other career paths he had i don't know but let's yeah, talk art, to him. art forgery i mean this guy's an expert if you guys have seen the show of white collar he'd probably fit in uh great on that show but yeah I, i'm on board with that kind of a dope name as well a repo uh so yeah bring him on and then also the character of mahir who's played by hamish patel the guy from yesterday uh mm. i don't know he seems like a chill dude he's just kind of always there to help out you know he's not super involved but Seems like a good time. I grab a couple of drinks with that guy. Oh, Not his character guy. in yesterday, though. Just in this movie. I really haven't seen that, but uh, yeah, Himesh. Himesh is him. I back it. Like it. Fight, Cody. Who do you want to fight? Uh, on my end, it's it's going to be the protagonist. Unfortunately, um, could you take mainly, him? Well, yeah, fair enough. But uh, mainly, I uh, it's just because like I probably would lose the fight to be fair, but. He just he's just not smart, I feel like. He couldn't figure out that he hired Rob Pat after the entirety of the movie. I feel like if you can't figure that out, you're kind of just a dummy. You're like, no offense. Um, and in the future, he's like this super suave guy. This is and... the beginning of a long, beautiful French. Actually, uh, I mean, it's it's definitely like a Casablanca reference, I feel like, a little bit. But I kind of dig that dialogue. That'll come up later for me, too. So shut up. But... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like he could do a lot better. Um, it's completely obvious the entire movie kind of, I think, where it's going or, you know, Rob Pattinson has known everything the entire time. Then he won't tell you like, oh, like who hired you? What's, what's going on? I don't know, dude. Like there's a bunch of time travel and it seems like you guys are pretty good boys already. So I'd say you got a you know, pretty good piece in all of this. But I don't know. I, I think he deserves a, a good smack and then maybe his head will just clear up and it'll all make more sense smack some sense into him i like that idea um i mean i think arepo again we got to throw him out here he's got to get fought i mean i understand why Seder wow. threw down with him he eight million dollar forgery also sleeping with his wife i mean that's a tough look not a great guy i'll also throw out however the waiter at the restaurant the snarky guy that uh john david washington's got a little beef with before seeing michael kane uh that guy's you know definitely a little racist definitely a little uh snobbery Definitely that dude needs to get a smack around a little bit. It's actually a great pick. I think 
that that was one that flew by me, but that is probably the obvious pick here. Um, and yeah, are you, are you gonna uh, knight Orepo too? Or are we going for the, the 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 triple here, or what's going on? Well, I'm gonna knight Michael Caine because <laughs> he's a Brit, and we gotta knight oh. our Brits when we can. And of course, in this movie, his character is knighted. I mean, his, he's Sir Crosby. Yeah. So shout out to him. Shout out to Michael Caine. Orepo, not deserving. Not yet. But uh, why is Michael Caine not knighted in real life? That is the real question. Uh, I feel like you have a ton of different actors and actresses, uh, you know, English English men and women alike who have gotten that that honor. But give me he give is me Michael, Michael Caine. There it is. is he? Right, oh, well, I'll take it back. Knight him again because he's that he's that freaking cool. He's cap knighted. I mean, just because the fucking oh. century old royals do their bullshit, that doesn't matter. He's cap sir now. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> Love me some Michael Cade. Uh, my knight, uh, you already mentioned him. It's my boy, my here. I've been holding on to this uh, the entire episode, but <laughs> I really like this character for some reason. He has, I think, maybe the best piece of dialogue in the film where they're talking about, obviously, you know, running the plane and, and doing this heist. And John David Washington's like, oh, you know, this is a bold plan. It's like, I'll take bold. I thought you were going to say it's, you know, insane or crazy or whatever. Uh, I feel like this guy's got crazy charisma. I don't know why he wasn't in the movie more. Even his kind of, uh, you know, scenes at the end with the Bicky, I thought were pretty funny. So give me more of Himesh. Uh, like I said, Himesh is him. G- give me give me all of it. I would be okay with him swapping in for the Rob Pat role, honestly. I think it would well, work. I would be okay him uh, swapping with Wash, if I'm being completely honest. But yeah, okay. Rob, Pat, Rob Pat is a dog in this movie, so I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Cody, the recast. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Who do you want to replace? I mean, what's what's the wash replacement? Denzel? I'm actually keeping him. I did, I did not even replace him. There, there's some side characters I definitely wanted to get rid of instead. And um, off the bat, I made a prediction in this category that Aaron Taylor Johnson would not come up at all. You did mention him earlier. So, I gotta, uh, I gotta mention, it is very yeah. strange that he's in this movie and he also made my recasting list as well. Yeah. I, I don't know why he's in this. Cause I feel like he's like, he's an okay actor, but I don't think he's Nolan quality by any means. Well, he wasn't even like marketed as being in this. It, it's just, it was such a surprise when he showed up. Yeah. I mean, he just shows up in the third act. Well, it's kind of like halfway through, I guess. And, he is he has a decent amount of dialogue though like he's in it a bunch but uh he's meh my replacement for him coming off the bear season two give me shane from the walking dead dude i mean this guy's insane <laughs> i feel like he's john bernthal <laughs> yeah that guy shane good guy i mean he's played the soldier before too and punisher just i mean he's really good in the bear season two as well so i think he he he'd be pretty much be good in anything but that was my main pick on on that who uh, do you want to replace uh, ATJ with? Well, I, I went for a Nolan classic, and it's it's got to be Tom Hardy. He's the guy. It, it would make the most sense. I'm sure t- this role seems written for Tom Hardy almost. Yeah. And just yeah. like, oh, shit, he's unavailable. He's, you know, off doing whatever. We got to get fucking Aaron Taylor Johnson as the replacement. I mean, okay, whatever. <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson is like the B-tag Tom Hardy, actually. They look kind of similar. They really do. So. especially with like the beard he's got in this and like the military like i could see tom hardy totally just popping in and doing this yeah and it would have been way better that role was 100 percent written for tom hardy i think that's a good point 
Um, I do have another one I throw out here. Uh, I, I want to get rid of Kenneth Brana uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I had trouble thinking of somebody. I was trying to think of like just genuine Russian actors. I was going to throw in Anton Yelchich, but obviously, you know, RIP. So can't do that. I don't know. I I, I was thinking Dolph about throwing Dolphin. Yeah, see, like you go older too. Like, oh, I was going to say Schwarzenegger, but that's a joke. Uh, what about Anthony Hopkins, man? I don't know. That'd be okay. Like, he could do a Russian and he wouldn't do it as extreme. And like, that guy's menacing. You just obviously got to change some plot points here and there, but you wouldn't have to, you know, I don't think overhaul the script entirely. Um, Vicky's character would probably be a little bit, you could make it like a daughter thing instead. And, and that'd be 10 times better, probably, too. It'd be a so. lot more interesting and it would make a lot yeah. more sense. Um, I like the Hopkins almost better because age wise, that makes more, because the thing is, you have to set the character and make him old enough to have like been around during the cold war and like helped yeah. clean up. So like that kind of limits things a little bit. If you somehow change the story and make it like a younger troubled villain, let's make fucking Cillian Murphy the villain villain of this movie, dude. Like that guy's scary as shit. I want to hear him do a Russian accent. And uh, I think him and Debicki would be a lot more like make sense as like a potential relationship. They're on a similar age. They, they would kind of fit well better together than, her and Kenneth Branagh, I think. I like that a lot too. I mean, you're just swapping in basically the entire Nolan catalog here, which is definitely understandable. But yeah, that kind of like this role kind of seems like it was written Loki for Cillian Murphy, honestly. So I'd love to see him do a Russian accent as well. So I back both those. I'll Maybe those in like people. 15 years that that's the kind of roles he can be. Um, but you know, who knows? True. <laughs> Jeff Daniels can replace uh Martin Donovan at the beginning, just switch out <laughs> white guys that kind of look similar and who's a better actor uh sure jeff daniels is okay he's a pretty good actor i guess but i don't really need him in the movie for 10 minutes <laughs> i want it i need it to happen fair enough i bag it the rating cody how low can you go do you like me i believe that uh and th this has not happened much but i would think that my rating will be lower than yours this week um might have to check out the last time that's happened but i think i'm gonna go with a 40 eight out of 69 that's still not a bad rating i don't think by any means um i just did my letterbox i mean i have it at a three star like i still think this is a, a decent movie and it is one like i kind of want to do rewatch it now that i understand it a little bit better after kind of just talking on the pod here but yeah i, I think it's all right but i would be shocked if, if your score was not a little bit higher than mine here today i will say this is a movie that is extremely rewatchable for that reason and like in the same way that we talked about like the prestige being like one that just like on the second watch is so much better this one like yes you can't think about it too much but like when you like first get past the initial understanding and you can like really succumb to it and just enjoy what you're watching it becomes so much better and so much more interesting uh for me i think it's like a four star movie and i'm gonna place it at a 55 out of 69. very nice yeah Respect to it. I think that's a that's a fair score. I did write, I did rate Indy and the Crystal Skull higher than you. So just throwing that out there. Well, that's fair. God, that movie's terrible. <laughs> I feel like bad movies. I I do rate a lot lower. Uh, to be fair. <laughs> post credit scene, Cody. If you were to add a post credit scene to this movie. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? Yeah, I, I get trouble coming up with someone with this one because 
I mean, you you can go like full sequel territory and kind of write the next movie. I kind of just wanted a fun kind of wrap up thing that because I, I don't think we ever will get a sequel, but this would be like one scene from a sequel, like at the very beginning that I would want to see. So basically, uh, kind of just opens up with uh, my boy Wash. He's like recruiting Robert Pattinson in the future, basically, to kind of you know join Tenet or whatever. So it's kind of the reverse roles where, you know, Wash in the beginning was the one like, what the hell's going on? That's going to be Rob Patton this scene. And he he actually does like it. Obviously, it's not a quote for quote like Casablanca that they do at the end, but it's pretty close. So in my scene here, he does kind of the Casablanca line of, oh, uh, and Rob Pat says this too. He's like, oh, it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And then Wash is like, this is the end for me. And then it cuts the black back. <laughs> I just think that's kind of like a, a cool... I mean, that's essentially what the quote is already. So you're just like, yeah. are we getting rid of that scene and replacing no, it with post-credit? It's Tenet, bro. Everything's got to be, you know, equal. You got to see it twice. Yeah, exactly. But it, it was the other way around because uh, for Rob Pat, he said it was the end. And now it's Wash saying it's the end in this scene. So it is different. I think we've discussed this off pod, but what do you think about the theory that the child of Elizabeth Debicki is Robert Pattinson and how would you like my post credit scene to be a setup that confirms that to be true I don't, I don't love that theory <laughs> I like the post credit scene I, I think for a standalone movie it's fine but if if that was the sequel and Elizabeth Debicki's is well mine, it doesn't have to be a sequel I'm just saying that's so essentially the that. idea is that you know he's talked about he's known you for a really long time he recruited him super early there's this weird obsession with the child beyond just like it's her daughter like we see this kid a lot her daughter it's her son like we see this kid a lot you know it's just he's constantly being brought up and he's kind of styled in a very similar way his like school uniform looks similar to the suit the Pattinson wear so a lot of people are like oh her child is Robert Pattinson you know grown up Robert Pattinson is her kid. I I personally don't think that's accurate. And I really don't even think Nolan wrote it that way, but that's what my postcard scene is going to be. It's going to be John Davidson, John David Washington, like rolling up to the the house. And she's like, oh, hey, he's like, no, I'm here for your child. And then he steals the kid and runs away. I don't hate that, actually. That'd be a nice turn. He's like, like, what are you doing here? Come to see me. It's like, nah. Come here, Timmy <laughs> or Neil, whatever his name is. Also, why is Rob Pat's name Neil? They say that like a hundred times, dude. Neil Armstrong? I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, I don't like that theory, but I like that post credit scene. It's not bad. Six degrees of Dave. Yes. Of course, Ronan was only a puppet. It's really Thanos I need to kill. Cody, I, I got it in uh, two. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> We've been giving it brief on the six degrees of Dave here. Uh, I bet we may have done the same one, honestly. But uh, like I said, I, I haven't seen a ton of, uh, you know, Wash's catalog here. So I immediately just went to Amsterdam because that's the last thing I did see him in. I mean, you could you could pick anybody. I was trying to find an avenue with Taylor Swift, but I don't think he's in that many movies and I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole. So I ended up just going obvious and, and went Christian Bale. And then, of course, I mean, they're both in Love and Thunder, him and Dave. So I, I went the easy route this week. I went. John David Washington in the movie Malcolm Marie, as I previously mentioned, with okay. Zendaya. Now you could yep. go a couple different ways with that. You could go the Marvel route, obviously, with Homecoming and then wrap it around. But the quickest thing, 
Zendaya and Dave Bautista are both in Dune together. Looking forward to Dune Part 2 coming out uh, in a couple months to see uh, yeah. an expanded role first. Hopefully they get a couple scenes together. Probably not. We'll see. Finally, <laughs> last but not least, what have you been into? What have you been watching? What do you want to recommend to the people? Cody? I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Take it away. Yeah. Not a ton this week. Um, coming off the uh, Snyder Cut. I don't know if this is true. I think it is. I genuinely don't think I had ever seen Wonder Woman before. So I wanted to watch that because I don't know how I missed that. But actually, I like the first one a lot. It's a good movie. Um, the first first Wonder Woman was good. Yeah, yeah, it gets emotional, man. And um, Chris Pine, pretty good actor. I think I've been ragging on him, even in my Star Trek, saying he's not in a lot of good stuff. But it's still, I mean, Wonder Woman's not not a better movie than Star Trek 09. But Chris Pine has a good performance in it. But I was a fan of that. I also started watching uh, Wonder Woman 84 because I haven't seen that either. Um, I kind of got cut off because I've been busy and stuff, but I watched like the first, I think it's like 45 minutes. Chris Pine just got resurrected somehow. I don't really understand. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get into that, but I feel like Pedro Pascal is really bad so far in it so far. So um, we'll see how that ends up too, but we'll definitely bring out uh, the full review of 84 because I'm sure it gets even, even worse as we go along into in the cheetah territory there. Yeah, past that, man. Just been uh been busy around, so I haven't been too much. But I'll throw it over to you. What uh, what recs you got? I know actually today I'll I'll throw one out for you. I saw that you saw uh 2001 Space Odyssey uh in theaters, so that's pretty dope. I did. I, I saw it for the first time. I had never really? seen 2001 Space oh, wow. Odyssey. Good movie. Um, got to go see it on 70 millimeter um at the village east angelica it was really cool there was an intermission the built-in intermission halfway through right. so got to go take a bathroom break buy a popcorn i know you've been begging for that in movies yeah. so <laughs> shout out kubrick in in 1960 whatever for implementing that and me getting to experience it uh, over 50 years later now there's some old movies that you like generally kind of just know what they're about and like you've seen a lot of the imagery and like to a certain extent, that was kind of true of 2001, especially when it comes to like the beginning. Like I've seen the opening of the movie many times and like I know about the match cut and all that. And like, I know about how generally, but the totality of this film, I had no idea really what I was getting into. Um, the ending was a complete surprise to me. It was really just yeah. uh, an absolute trip fest. So um, really cool visual imagery, especially seeing it up on a big screen, especially considering the time. Also just extremely interesting how it's like essentially like an experimental film, but it was extremely successful and it, it is able to convey story with a very limited amount of dialogue. It utilizes extremely classical pieces of uh, music to invoke feeling that is, you know, been predetermined, but then also, you know, adds a new significance and meaning to it in the moments of the scene. And also like as we look at the strike and things that are happening with AI right now and the prevalence that it has and our conversations and the way that like chat GPT, even in the last year and a half has become more prevalent and expanded in the abilities that it has. This movie's kind of scary. It's, it's, it's something to look at. And um, I'm still just kind of beginning my deep dive into like the greater meaning and what Kubrick really kind of put it in, put into this film. But I don't know. I think it was really interesting and I, I really enjoyed it. That is weird too, how it's it's kind of topical with AI now. So I didn't even think about that, but cool sci-fi movie, but it, it definitely gets trippy. I do like that movie a lot. I saw Chungking Express, which is a one-card wife film. Um, I talked about Fallen Angels earlier on the 
earlier in the year on the podcast that I saw that in theaters. This is his movie right before that. I think I prefer Fallen Angels, but just like visually as a filmmaker, Wong Kar Wai um, is just so impressive. And he, he tells these really interesting, intimate stories about like love and lust and affection. And um, I, I would really recommend checking out some of his movies just to kind of expand your worldview, get a, get a taste of Hong Kong cinema. Um, and then on top of that, I watched uh, Joyride, which is the new um, kind of like girls trip-esque movie that, that's out now. Um, some people describe it as like the Asian girls trip. It's got Stephanie Hsu, probably most primarily known from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, and then a few other, you know, kind of up and coming actresses. It's a comedy film that to me was not extremely funny. And I, I, you know, I said that last week about No Hard Feelings as well, which is kind of a knock. I think this one maybe even had less laughs for me, definitely less laughs for the theater as a whole. I think the trailer of this movie is very funny and I think there's some good moments in it. To me, they were really the only highlights of the actual film. And then even in the film, they don't work as well just with the way it's paced and the structure of it. So um, that's kind of unfortunate. There's some like convenient plot details that happen. Um, but I will say as an emotional dramatic piece in the third act, it is extremely effective. And there is like a tear jerking couple scenes that kind of finish out the movie. So as a comedy, maybe not the most successful at times, but as a uh, kind of an interesting examination of like where people come from and parenthood and, um, you know, being adopted. Like, I don't know, it had some emotional beats on that front. But yeah, that, that's mostly what I've been into recently on top of uh, 2001 today. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe it's just mismarketing a little bit. I did see the trailer as well. I can't remember what movie it was for. Uh, I played before, but it looked okay. Um, but uh, I feel like comedy trailers do that a lot where they give everything and it is kind of out of context too. So it's even less funny. Uh, the campaign is one I always say for that of really, really good trailer, but really terrible movie. Yeah, shout out Stephanie too. I, I think she's dope. But hey, it's it's cool that comedies are are back in theaters and, and doing somewhat well. Um, I'm I'm gonna continue to go see them and and I'll let you guys whether let you guys know whether they're uh, any good or not. <laughs> Last thing I gotta mention, I did finish my original Planet of the Apes franchise complete binge. So uh, Battle of the Planet of the Apes was the final one. How did it end? The budget was slashed astronomically for this final film. You know, something interesting, in the older days of sequelization, every time you would make a sequel, your budget would essentially be halved because the there was no expectation that the sequel would make more money. Nowadays, if you have a successful first film, you sometimes will get a larger budget for the second film because people expect maybe that movie will have a greater fan base and then will cause it to make more money. In the old days, they just continually lowered the budget. When you get to the fifth installment in this Planet of the Apes franchise with Battle, man, it's it's they're really just like working with what they have. They're reusing these fucking sets. They're out in the wilderness. They For a movie that's called ba Battle for the Planet of the Apes, I saw someone kind of say like, more like skirmish for the planet of the apes it's you know like one pretty mid fight scene at the two-thirds mark of the film and i don't know it's it is kind of a sad conclusion to what is a really interesting and iterative franchise that was constantly you know kind of adapting and changing time periods and changing settings and, and finding new ways to keep the story interesting battle is just kind of this like really lame not even like war film just like poor eh, film to finish things off i don't, I don't even know how to describe it 
disappointing end to the to the Yaves binge. That is tough. <laughs> I'd have to check out the TV series to to get a little bit of love back. Any final thoughts on uh, Tenet, Cody? Uh, I think it's one episode. Um, uh, you know, interesting film. Definitely one too. If if you haven't checked out, um, just crazy, crazy stuff overall. But yeah, I think that's pretty much the gist of the end. Do appreciate all you guys, and uh, definitely stick around for more Nolanisms coming up. Oh yeah, stay tuned for uh coverage of some new movies in the, the coming weeks. Peace. <laughs> what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.